everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul. I am your host, as always. A little bit of fanboying here today. I am really excited to to have Jason Beeler, extraordinary guitar player, Jason Beeler, and the Baron Von Bielstein. Bielski Orchestra screwing that up already and you might know him from Saigon Kick. Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I just named the band that so it would mess people up on purpose. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> and it works really, really well. It's a lot of words to to say. Where does Bielski come from? Just It was, it was a nickname a long time ago, actually. Uh, Maya Rudolph, her father, okay, uh, Dick Rudolph, who actually was married to obviously Maya's mother, but he wrote uh, Loving You by Minnie Ripperton. That was his wife. Wow. Uh, So he used to call me Bielski all the time, and he kind of came up, you know, (laughs) and I just always enjoyed that. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about your new music. We're going to focus mostly on that. I do want to touch on Saigon Kick just for a bit, mostly because this show is about success and what success means for musicians, how we might make money or figure out how to navigate the waters. The Lizard was not the first Saigon Kick record. It was actually the second one, but is the big one that everybody knows. Love is on the Way is the the song that everybody knows. 14 million plus listens on on Spotify as of the moment. Is for you now in your career, is that a hindrance? Is that something you look back on fondly? How do, how do you think about those days now? I mean, I just look at it like I've been a professional musician and not had to have a real job since I was 18 years old. Right. Uh, so it there, there is no hindrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there, there are people that are super talented that are waking up doing plumbing or, you know, digging ditches or working construction jobs. Not that there's any shame in that. Right. Um, But for someone to complain about, you know, anything with, you know, uh, would just seem unbelievably selfish and self-serving and not interesting. Right. What's interesting about the lizard in particular, it reminds me a bit of, of uh, Nuno's band in that the big hit wasn't really representative of anything else on the record. It just feels really different because the rest of the songs are pretty rockin'. They're pretty riffy. Um, so did you guys decide Love is on the Way is going to be our hit, so let's make a video and do that, or did that come from someone else? No, I mean, anybody who's a fan of that band or anything I've really done, uh, I've been consistently nonsensical. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I have a utter disregard for any genre loyalty uh it it, it holds no interest to me i think being diverse for the sake of being diverse seems more like a parlor trick um and that's not really interesting either but i just have always loved tom waits and metallica and you know bjork and cigaros and Floyd and you know Tom Jones and Barry Manilow and right. I just like great stuff. Miles Davis. It never it never dawned on me to like or not like something based on anything other than how it made me feel. Um, so we had a ballad on the first record that wasn't a hit per se, but I mean I, I don't think the diversity thing changed that much. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think what's happened is music has changed. So we were coming out of a time period, I think, where a lot of people were very genre specific. Like if you were a metalhead, 
not only was that all you listened to, but like you wouldn't eat lunch with people that were into new wave. Like you, you know, you were, you were, that, that was the whole thing. Um, and now, and I, and I think it for me, it's works even better because no one cares anymore. Right. Like people's playlists are Rihanna, Gojira, you know, whatever they are, whatever makes them feel good. And, uh, right. that's a cool thing. And that plays into my favor finally. So better late than never. Yeah. Right on. Uh, one last thing here talking about the old days. Um, Water, the record that came out after The Lizard, feels more in keeping with the vibe of some of the slower songs, some of the softer songs. There are, of course, exceptions, but one thing I'm interested in is, did you start to write to what made the hit, or did you get pressure, or did you guys just feel like that was something that you needed to do? No, I mean, we were isolated, actually. Um, We were in Sweden, both the lizard and water were recorded in Stockholm, Sweden, actually a little suburb of Stockholm, Sweden. Um, and it had its virtues because we weren't in LA. We weren't right. in New York. We weren't where there's a billion bands playing and we had anybody's feedback. So we really just by ourselves doing whatever we wanted to do um, and making records the way we wanted to make them. Right. Um, That's cool. For better or worse. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it's, uh, I just have no interest in being heavy for the sake of being heavy. Or being light for the sake of being light. I mean, I I just, I always wanted to make music that I felt like making. And and sometimes that will be heavier, obviously. And sometimes it'll be more prog based and sometimes it'll be pop. I mean, I love pop music. You know what I mean? I was like, I don't, I I don't have a, you know, I just like good songs. So to me, it doesn't matter whether it's anything. So that, that was never my mindset. And I mean, you can't chase a hit. The reason love is on the way was a hit or even a little bit on the water record. That song, I love you is it's just a, Luke, they weren't love is on the way wasn't even released as a single mm-hmm. like a radio station in florida just started playing it like while we were in mexico shooting a video for something completely different right. and it just, it just exploded so i wish i could sit here and say like oh it was this giant plan of strategically <laughs> doing stuff but i mean it, it, you know and, and in fairness i mean all my friends that i've been friends with for years in the industry who've you know been with you know mega you know diamond selling artists i mean nine times out of ten it's an accident in terms of the, the song that all of a sudden explodes where they were completely focused on something else. And if I have my history correct, I mean, even bands like, you know, Aerosmith didn't want to put dream on, on a record. And, you know, I know Mr. Big was like within inches of taking to be with you off their record. Right. So you just never know right. Right. what or why it's going to connect. When you, Moved out of that period when Saigon Kick was sort of, or or that style of music maybe was going away. Again, very broad strokes here because I know that what you do is is much more eclectic than how Saigon Kick was put in a box. Um, when you moved out of that era, did you feel like it had all gone away? Did you feel like this is okay for me? I'm going to start doing stuff that I want to do anyways. Yeah, I mean... I imagine if you were coming, I mean, we, our first record came out in 91, so I can't speak for eighties bands, but I mean, I imagine if you were in the eighties and you really were into being a rock star and your goal in life was to, you know, be recognized in the mall, um, that would be a pretty horrible time period. Right. I mean, for me, and I don't mean this because I'm some kind of super cool person. I, I just, the highest I ever got was when I finished writing a song and I heard it back. And the first time I heard it, like that vision completed. So I could still do that. I mean, there's no, nothing preventing me. Like, I mean, if tomorrow not one person on the planet cared, 
I'd still be going into my studio and doing things because that's what I like to do. Um, and, and I think in this industry with it, I mean, almost in any industry really, but you know, you're going to, you're going to have up years and down years. Right. You're going to have years where everybody says you're the greatest thing that ever happened shortly followed by you're the worst thing that ever happened. And then hopefully, you know, you just, I think the music will stand that, you know, good music ultimately will stand the test of time. And that even happened to, you know, some mega bands like Def Leppard, where it wasn't necessarily cool. Right. Right. But now everyone's like, wait a minute, those are great records. Like, and they're, they're, they're respected and loved the way they should be. Um, you know, and, and, and it happened to new metal. I mean, new metal was the coolest possible thing that could have ever happened. And then all of a sudden it's an embarrassment. <laughs> and then the songs that were really cool though, are kind of almost on the edge of coming back again, where you're like, right. no, no, that corn track is wicked. You know, that, that was actually right. a really great. So it happens to everything. And I mean, you can't get too hung up in the, the minute. And, and that goes back to what you were saying before, where I do feel like people will listen to whatever they want to listen to without the gatekeeping. Although me being a punk rock guy, there's still a fair amount of gatekeeping in punk rock and, and metal, as you said. But there is certainly more willingness to say, I like what I like, and, and that's all cool, which is great, especially talking about your newer stuff. Can we draw a straight line or can you draw a straight line from Miss Jones or the track Water from from Water to what you're doing now? Is it is only it linear like that? Yeah. Only in the sense of you're using some kind of tracking app and I, I you know it would probably look from from space like I was just wandering aimlessly through the fields. <laughs> uh, but, but you know I am not you know I'm on my own make your own adventure. You know what I mean? It's right. like I I don't even you know, I'm not even, and people always ask, and I'm super flattered when someone says, oh, you know, I love the Saigon Kick song, or what do you, what do you, it's like, I haven't listened to that. I don't listen back. I mean, not because I don't like it or not because I don't appreciate um, what it means to people. That's important, obviously. Mm -hmm. But my head is like, what, I, I don't even listen to the last record that just came out two months ago. Like, I'm already literally in the studio working on the next record because <laughs> that's what's interesting to me. Right. Um, once it's, once it's set free, I feel like it's a, you know, it's, it's almost like that, it, the responsibility and nurturing and care of it. Now you're, you know, go off and fend right. for yourself and now you work on the next thing. So. so Songs for the Apocalypse came out in 2021. Postcards from the Asylum just came out April 2023. Um, what what was the impetus? Because there was a gap there when you when you didn't release a bunch of stuff. So why 2021 for releasing 15 new songs? I mean, I had done... I basically run a label for a long time, worked mm -hmm. with a lot of bands for a long time, produced a lot of stuff for a long time. And I came to the conclusion that I just, I, I hate everybody. Um, you know, and I don't mean that seriously, I mean, I, but I just, I just want to do my, you know, it just, it just came to me like, you know, the, the, for better or worse, my happiness comes from building my own sandbox and playing with my toys the way I want to play with them, right. how I want to play with them. And even if, the, the dump truck becomes a space shuttle. That's what I want to do. And I don't care that that's right. not what it's supposed to be. And right. so I, I just came to this point. So I started doing this uh, writing experiment on Bandcamp, uh, where I was like, okay, I just want to be better as a writer. And the best way to become better at a writer shock upon shock is to write a lot. Uh, so I, I wrote my, I set this parameter, like I'm going to write release mix within 24 hours, like within 24 okay. hours of it starting, Generally speaking, it was going to be up on Bandcamp, not for the perfect mix, not for the perfect song. Right. I just wanted to have that pressure of not pressure, that forceful release. Mm -hmm. 
because as a musician, you're a musician, you know, you know how easy it is to get stuck for two weeks on a snare drum right. reverb. Right. You know what I mean? And then you forgot what the song was even about because, you know, <laughs> uh, by that time. So I wound up releasing like 140, 150 something songs in a relatively short period of time with no real commercial uh, goal about it. And as everything in my life, whenever I don't set out to have a commercial goal to it, it developed a cult following and, and started to do really, really well. And I started getting approached about doing some stuff. And I was like, and then I, right as the pandemic started, I was like, you know, it'd be great is to be able to work with all these friends I've mm-hmm. had over the years. So, you know, everybody from Devin Townsend to Butch Walker to Clay Cook to Clint Lowry to, I mean, I can go on and on Bumblefoot. I mean, it was just like a, a, a blessing of social connections. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, got to work with and still got to work on the new record with a ton of just brilliant musicians. So that part of it was just insanely rewarding. And um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, I always was working, just maybe not in a visible way. Mm-hmm. The, the constraint part is interesting, right? So one thing that guitar players do to practice is, OK, I'm only going to play on these two strings or I'm only going to play with these chords because the constraint makes you be more creative. Um, so I think that 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 idea that I'm going to do a thing and release it in 24 hours is, is really interesting. But does that fly in the face of your approach to, I like all sorts of different things, so I'm just going to mash it together to try to make the most interesting thing? Because it almost feels like there's no constraints for the Baron von Bielski Orchestra. There isn't. I mean, I, I don't, um, it never, that's never a problem for me. Like I mm-hmm. never sit down and go like, well, if I bring these elements in because I've spent my life listening to tons of music. So on any given day, I'll be listening to sleep token and miles Davis. You know what I mean? It's all in. And I equally enjoy like, so I don't, I'm not one of those guys that hates new music. Like I love animals as leaders, periphery. That's like, that's great stuff going on. So um, I'm just always looking for that new buzz. You know what I mean? I'm always like, I'm listening to a lot of new music because I'm 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 waiting and as, I'm as excited about someone taking it to the next level as anybody. So, yeah, but I never sit there and go like, you know, OK, let me try to be clever or wouldn't it be neat if it just comes to my head because I grew up listening to the fifth dimension. You know what I mean? So that stuff's in there and uh, bouncing off the walls in my head is just all this different kind of stuff. Flying monkey flying monkeys from from the new record like how does someone write a song like that that is insanity like in a song like where does that come from just you know for me like it all comes to me at once generally speaking um you know i I just hear it in my head like it's like i have these really strange radio stations playing that are constantly (laughs) like like those old horror movies, like Christine, that old car that was like the radio yeah. station just slowly started. So I'm always constantly getting bits and pieces of things. And to me, the biggest part is to not have that in my head when I'm trying to talk to somebody right. or you know, to be a normal functioning human being. Um, so I just hear stuff and then I, I put it down and you're obviously getting to work with Marco Miniman on a track like that. Right. I mean, it's just unreal because I, mean, I, I don't know of many drummers that are on that level. So he took it to a, a whole new place. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just... That's the way my brain works, for better or worse, I guess. Like moving from Bring Out Your Dead to Baby Driver. Baby Driver, I think, is one of the best songs on on the 2021 release. I think it's it's great. And then going into Sick Riff or Mexico, um, 
just all wildly different. And, you know, we, we've talked about this here now for a few minutes. Um, I do think it's incredibly interesting that that's all coming out of you without without the collaboration of a of a band, right? Because you would think that, okay, band members are going to bring in these disparate elements and that's going to make the whole, but it's, it's truly astounding that that's all coming out of your brain. I think you're kind of crazy maybe, Jason. Well, you're not the only one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just, like I said, I mean, everybody processes music differently, but you know, the, the interesting thing is getting to work with a lot of these level of musicians, whether it's Bumblefoot or, you know, Marco Miniman we talked about, or Devin. Yeah. I think Devin's, uh, you know, I don't think we... We don't do the same thing, but I think we're running parallel careers yes. in a way. Yes. Um, you know, the best musicians I know think that way. Um, right. Not necessarily the results are the same way, but like, it's so funny. Like I was, I worked with this bass player, Kevin Scott. Brilliant. He's actually playing with Government Mule now, but he played with like Jimmy Herring and Wayne Krantz. These like mm -hmm. unbelievable guitar players and, and uh, legendary stuff. And you know, you would think, okay, he's from that underground kind of jazz, New York, Bar 55, you know, right. where the David Bowie, Black Star record guys came from. Yeah. They're all Meshuggah fans. <laughs> like, th there's not this thing anymore. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, they're not, they're like, you know, they're just as happy to go see Iron Maiden as they are to go see, you know, Donnie McCaslin or, you know, it's like the best musicians I know love music mm -hmm. and respect and just want to hear good stuff. And if you're a real deal bluegrass guy, we're in, you know, as long right. as it's real and you're a badass. I mean, badassery, you know, they tend to recognize badassery. Yeah, yeah, right on. Are people surprised at how well you sing or is that sort of old hat now? Because it, it definitely comes from the old Saigon kick days in, in the vocal melodies. But I liken it a bit to to the way Paul Gilbert another shredder, awesome guitar player, writes songs with very strong melodies. I would argue that you're a better singer than Paul Gilbert. Um, but, but back to the original question here, are people surprised that you sing so well? You know, I never consider myself a singer in, in the true sense of the word. Like I'm mm -hmm. friends with a bunch of guys that are Jeff Scott Soto, obviously right. like right. that's a singer to me. Uh, Dino Jalusic, another guy that I've come across recently, or, you know, th those guys are just, unbelievably Todd Latore from Queensryche another one of those guys that yeah. can just to me I'm I think I have a sound to what I do right. more than like a pure singer and I, and and my experience with singers is I never want to be one of those guys <laughs> mentally or <laughs> or uh or just from that approach like this there's, there's such a thing about being a singer like I much prefer thinking of what I do as an additional sound to the songs right. than La 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 la. Where's my Where's my gummy bears? You know, like I I, I never want to have that headspace. Uh, I don't want to warm up. I don't want to. I don't want to have that burden. And it is a burden. I think if you start to think of it as like I am the vocal presence of such and such band, and right. therefore I must, you know, I need four hours of Pilates before every, you know, it, it just comes with a whole psychosis uh, that I really don't want to have. Uh, and I'm, and respectfully, I don't think I'm that type of singer. I think I'm there. Some of my favorite singers are character singers, you know, like Tom Waits, we talked mm -hmm. about or uh, uh, Perry Farrell, you know, like I, I love Jane's addiction. It's one of my favorite bands of all time. And you wouldn't call him Ronnie James Dio. Right. But he's every bit as valid to me. You know what I mean? As a singer. So but your ability that, to, your ability to stack melody within the context of your songs, I think is really what sets you apart as a vocalist or as a singer. So well, is thanks. that just part of the song then? What you're doing with your with your voice? 
I look at it, I mean, and again, going back to that radio station part, I mean, a lot of the lyrics come to me, like 90% of it comes to me in one chunk, like as I'm hearing the melodies and all this stuff. So it right. kind of, it's almost not taking dictation from some kind of voices in my head, but that'd be the easiest way to explain it. Like right. it just tends to happen. Um, yeah. So, but I look at my vocal stuff the same way I would look at the strings or guitar. It's just, okay, these parts go here and, you know, Oh, organ, great. And then drum. Oh, right. and then we'll put those vocal things here. I think it's great that uh, beer sedative, or bear sedative, sorry, the, 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 the lyrics to that song are just out there in the ether somewhere waiting for you to pluck them um, because that song yeah. is, is amazing and the lyrics are awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, let's talk about Jeff Scott Soto because you brought him up. He's been on the show. He's a, he's a really good dude. Uh, I know Dan Formica a little bit and uh, I know that Jeff goes to him for vocal lessons on occasion. Um, and one thing that, that Jeff and I were talking about is everything that you just mentioned, the warming up and being a vocalist. But Jeff and I talked about him bringing in shredders. He's known for being the shredder guy singer. Ingve and Bumblefoot, you mentioned, and, and tons of guys, including yourself. So you go out and, and you play with Jeff. Um, are you one of those shredder guys? Uh, you, would you put yourself in that same room as those guys? I mean, I don't even think about it. Like, you know what I mean? I, I The guitar to me is an instrument that I use to serve a song that I'm writing. So like uh, when I was a kid, obviously, you know, 18, 19. I mean, Jeff gave me my first job. So mm -hmm. I met, I've known Jeff since I was 18 or 19 years old. Um, but obviously back in the day, it was Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and Ingway and all the same guys that everybody from my generation grew up being right. off. Um, you know, but quickly it got really boring to me. I, I, you know, not to discount anybody's brilliance as a musician. Like that's like, even now, speaking of the great Eddie Van Halen, what I find so amazing about him is his rhythm playing. Right. Right. The solos sure. are great. I mean, obviously yeah. they go with us. It was groundbreaking, all that stuff. But I just think that's 10% of the musician he was like those rhythms are unbelievable. And um, so that, you know, soloing for the sake of soloing to me is, I mean, I, I, I think people should do it and whatever makes you happy as a, you know, anything that's musical that brings you joy, you should tell everybody else to go fuck themselves. That's right. my opinion. Like, I don't care what it is. Um, for me, though, I, I always think it's a song based thing. So like to me, comfortably numb with that solo is where the magic happens. Right. You know, not not just the solo or not. the. It's, it's that when those two things can be married, that's where I find it most interesting. Right. That be, that being said, pound for pound, I'm the greatest guitar player of my generation. No. <laughs> Um, are you a composer at this point or have you always been a composer versus a guitar player? So if, if you meet someone, do you say, I'm a guitar player, I'm a guitarist, I'm a composer, I'm a musician, you know, how are you introducing yourself? I avoid humanity just for that question in and of itself. <laughs> I, I don't even think of myself. <laughs> I, I, I won't even walk down our long driveway to the mailbox for fear of running into the Amazon guy. Um, I don't think, I mean, I just make music is the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. And anything I can do to participate in that process, if I'm in a room with some talented people or not by myself and I pick up a bass, then I pick up a bass. If I, if I'm writing everything, then I'm writing everything. Is it, you know, I, I, uh, I'm just mostly thinking about what's next. And, you know, literally right before I, I'm, I'm talking to a drummer, I'm working with in Brazil before we picked up mm -hmm. and he's sending me tracks on a new song. And that's where my head's at on the net, you know? So it's like, 
I'm happy to let other people figure that out. When you're releasing music in 2023, um, you're still doing albums, 15, 16 song albums. I look back at the at the catalog, the Saigon Kid catalog, and it's very much the same, right? It was a lot of songs on a record. Um, do you think 2023 people have the appetite to listen to a whole record like that? With no disrespect to people, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, the record serves is a thing I wanted to put out. Um, but I think the songs, I, I totally love that people want to listen. I don't have the time to listen to my own record full. I, I get it. Like, I mean, I, I, that's not a burden I'm trying to put upon somebody as much as like, here's this body of work. And if you want to listen to one song, you know, fantastic. Maybe it might take you a couple of years to digest the record. Yeah. There are people who want to sit with headphones, open a double vinyl right. and, and absorb the music that way. And I hope it, 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 it survives in that plane as well. Um, but I don't begrudge anybody, you know, you know, who has that lifestyle to sit and listen to an hour and 15 minutes of music right. in one shot um, or the attention span. You know, we've become TikTokified, where it's like, if it's not 10 <laughs> seconds, I have no interest. It's funny. I've talked to a lot of friends of mine who are making four minute videos and you watch all of the, the you know, the back end analytics of it. It's like, five, 10, 15, bang. And it's just, no one watches anymore. Right. So right. that's the world we live in. But I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't mean we shouldn't make music or make full visions. Make you do whatever you want to do. Is physical copy still important? To me? No. Um, I love the end result now because we've done it because it, um, obviously from an economic standpoint, it, it's the one thing that still drives a lot of, you know, revenue for musicians. Right. Um, and it is something very satisfying about opening a double record. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm probably the first artist. I like to think I'm one of the first artists to release two double records as my first record, you know. <laughs> um, but it's, it, you know, opening that up and seeing the credits laid out and kind of being able to fully realize. And I'm working with this brilliant artist named Robert Merrick, who's done both the packages. And he's so good. So there's a real satisfaction in seeing that uh, happen. Um, it, but in many ways, it's like a burden because while I'd rather be focusing on next and more music, now I'm talking to a vinyl manufacturer in right. Canada about, oh, and then you got to do this and here's your test pressing. Well, I don't even have a record player. Like I don't even own one. <laughs> so now I got to figure out how to listen to a test. It, so it creates its own series of like extra tasks. Right. And so something like video then, because you have a very cohesive sort of presentation with your video and your social media presence, I think you're doing a really good job of getting the right vibe in front of people. So is that something that you're thinking through in addition to creating new music as well? What we've been doing lately, which seems to be all of a sudden really working. Um, and it's not like a try, but I, I was like, okay, if people are going to digest short periods of things, let's try to carve up a lot of intro pieces mm -hmm. into small, really cool visuals that are, that are 10 or 15 seconds with, you know, a bit of a song in it that will at least get in front of people and they can it at least it will in some way be connected to the art we're aware it's kind of disposable visuals like mm -hmm. you know you're, they're not lasting forever um but also that's the way people are hearing stuff and listening to stuff so it was an experiment that we've realized over the last couple of weeks specifically too that like wow it's it's really kind of whether i think it's the greatest idea of all time or not that's the way people are finding music mm -hmm. and you either do that or you don't. And that's up to you. We're trying to do it in a way that's true to what we are. Mm 
but it definitely is making a massive difference. I mean, I, I'm shocked every day I turn in now, all of a sudden, you know, the Instagram numbers and all these numbers that I don't really give a shit about. I ultimately care that more people are hearing the music and seeing the art that we worked on. So you have to care about it, I guess, ultimately. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. That, that all makes sense. Uh, one last thing here, Beeler brothers records studio. Is that still a thing? Are you still active with that? Are you recording bands? Are you putting out stuff? You know, and this is not to disrespect any new bands. One, I don't think the label landscape is what it was. Mm hmm. So the biggest thing for me when we signed bands and worked with bands like Skindred and, you know, Nonpoint and Sixth and all these brilliant bands that are still doing great. Um, I knew I could make a positive impact at that time. And, and I, I feel like I did um, to some degree. Their brilliance was the first and foremost driver of their careers. But I was able to put them and connect them with the right things at the right time and help them take a step forward. That's kind of all gone now. Mm hmm. Like my advice to most anybody would be like, do it yourself. If you're Adele or Taylor Swift, you need that machinery to hit that critical mass. If that's your objective, right. then by all means, go after the major label situation. But, you know, I am totally cool at this point, brick by brick, building this little, like I said, this place where my music works and people are starting to catch on to it and, and, it's a uh, yeah that that's where my head's at so it's it, it, it's 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 i don't know that the label is something i mean if i found something i was passionate about that i knew i could help the answer is yes i would okay. still do it and and are you recording bands is that something that that you'll do no i mean i would not do it it would again it would be it would have to be something where i heard that music and was like moved and felt like my contribution could help right not right. hurt right you know i'm not into just uh <laughs> destroying someone else's music <laughs> for the sake of my own ego Awesome. Thanks very much, Jason. I want to thank everyone who's listening and supporting the podcast. It is very much appreciated. I will drop all the links as I always do. I strongly recommend people check out uh, Jason's music. There are songs that I really, really like. I mentioned Mexico. Bombay is awesome. Very Fine People from the previous record is, is a great song. Jason, so much. Uh, thanks so much for being weird and putting out awesome, eclectic music. And thanks for being on the show. Dude, thanks so much for taking the time to have me. Man.